Thanks for tuning in to Jin and Tantra. In this episode, we continue our discussion on the ideas of one Wilhelm Reich, who is credited with the genesis of the sexual revolution, i.e. society's shifting views on premarital sex, divorce, and other relationship-related issues. We also discuss the seven-year itch, serial monogamy, the emotional plague, and the disconnect between one's fire and water. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jen and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing for. I want you to get together. Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Hey, fellow and tears, those of us who like our spirituality with a twist. We're back in our series we're doing on really deep dive into relationships and how they can affect your life uh, psycho-spiritually and otherwise. Uh, yeah, important subject matter and one that we've been kind of planning on doing for a long time. And, and along the way, we're learning some psychology stuff and kicking around between the two of us and with you all. So we had done these episodes where we were looking at Wilhelm Reich. And the last ones we did was kind of going pretty deep into how he thinks about the psyche and how it connects to the body, how he thinks energy flows in the body, all our kind of stuff that we're into. Yeah, how uh, repression has a negative yeah. effect on like sensuality, pleasure, and not just in the sexual sense, but just in life, you know, not not being able to personality. Feel. Yeah, you know, starts to mess with that uh existential guardian operating system that you like that phrase that you were using daniel right mm -hmm. messes with that thing so yeah so we did that and we wanted to kind of like well we didn't like know where we were going to like how much we were going to talk about that but we ended up talking about it a lot so hopefully that was helpful for folks and it was certainly interesting to kind of kick around just to give a context for why he thinks the way he does about human relationships and he was supposed to be the dude who we would use to talk about serial monogamy and like i said at the beginning of the last episode i this has been really interesting for me because I've talked to different people. <laughs> I've been doing like uh, clinical research, you might say, looking at case studies and like uh, talking with folks. And I did talk with one of my favorite serial monogamists uh, in my, that I've known in my life. <laughs> you almost said his <laughs> name. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't. I swear to God, I didn't. You didn't. I didn't okay. even get close. Okay. All right. I'm I didn't even get close. Like, I'm not going to out anybody okay. except my mom. I talked to my mom. My mom said, say whatever you want. <laughs> But other people, I'm not saying shit. <laughs> Definitely on the QT. Um, so it's really kind of the point about Reich and what does he say about relationships specifically. And it's it's really interesting with him because he definitely has a theory. Like he's not shy about saying what he thinks. And he definitely has some ideas here. And it's kind of an amazing thing because there, there's that whole phrase, the sexual revolution. And that's off of one of his books. But he wrote it in like, I don't know if he wrote it in the 1940s. You know, he wrote that thing way before like the 60s came around and, you know, like what the thing that you normally associate with the sexual revolution. So he he wrote this thing and he thought that really what had to happen was that a lot of the standard ideas of how people think about relationship and sex had to change. And so there were like probably two big ideas for him, which was this idea of premarital sex has to stop being taboo. Mm. And now it really is, Right. And a lot of things that used to be like legit taboo are not anymore. So we're going to talk about his attitude towards society and culture and the negative sides of it. But we tried, tried to take a fair and balanced approach. Ooh, fair and balanced. Nice. And um, like to drop that phrase in wherever we can. We're just going to hijack one, that one and like steal well, it back. Fox doesn't even use it anymore. They're on to like uh, ass backwards and, and stupid. So, you know. <laughs> they just jump right there, huh? Yeah, they just went right for it. You know, they put they out a truck or hat. to that audience and it's fine, right? Yeah, uh -huh. no. Uh, yeah. I, think it, I think now it's uh, ham sandwiches and, and uh, buffet tables or something like that. That's the, that's the, that's the tagline? Yeah. 
Fox News. The deli counter is over there. Yeah. That's the tagline? Okay. I mean, I don't uh, know. MSNBC is also full of shit, but you know, oh, like, yeah. Well, it's cor- corporate media, man. They're, you know, like they're more smooth. Sock puppets, you know? The question like, is, we don't talk about man. this stuff, and there's like constant shit going on in that world, but you know, that's not our thing to do. Not really. I mean, there's some, the thing is, we don't talk, and for our, you know, we'll go meta, we'll talk to the audience directly as opposed to each mm-hmm. other. We don't talk about those things on purpose. We're completely aware that it's happening, you know, but there is so much political commentary and news commentary and commentary on commentary that like there's no point in rehashing it here and we're not trying to be inside of that system actually the purpose of what we're doing is trying to get outside of that system because that system is disease-ridden anxiety-driven and covered with depression and pills in my opinion yeah and that's going to be a major theme of this episode (laughs) oh sweet jumping right in yeah, you like uh, you foreshadowed it perfectly because Reich has a similar thought process mm. going on mm-hmm. and this sort of phraseology of it. Yeah, so it's kind of like a trap. Yeah, like kind of pulls people in and uh, sucks up your mind and your attention potentially, right? Mm. Okay, so he's definitely big on the idea like you don't want to talk about premarital sex. Now I did talk about this with my eighty-three-year-old mommy, <laughs> and she was like, it was like unthinkable, you know. And so when we really got to the, like the conversation kind of deep and my mom and I have an interesting, like, like a open flow communication kind of relationship with one another. I don't know how it is with other people and her parents. It, you know, my mom was a flawed parent. And sometimes I talk about my upbringing and it was hard. And my mom was a difficult person too, but she had, you know, everyone has their mix of qualities. My mom definitely had her positive qualities too, that I really love, respect and admire. And I, you know, now everything's water under the bridge from my youth so when we talk i'm like yeah these are the excellent parts of you that you're you talk honestly you know you can have these honest conversations so she was like yeah it was just an unthinkable thing there was just no way in the world and she said that multiple times it was pretty interesting she said there were just things that were just unthinkable so it wasn't even like when i was asking her about it it wasn't even like well how did you feel about that or whatever she was like no it just wasn't even the thought i could have it just couldn't it couldn't be created which I guess you have to say means repression. Mm. What else do you call that? Right. But you right. know, she was raised kind of like in a, you know, my grandma, my grandpa was, he was like a fuck boy before there were fuck boys. <laughs> <laughs> but my, uh, uh, my grandma was a nice Catholic lady, you know, and uh, Polish Catholic. And um, so my mom was kind of raised like that. And she said it was just unthinkable. So I don't think she had sex with anyone until, I mean, I know this is the case, you know, she didn't have sex with anybody until she was with my father. Mm. And then, you know, it was kind of a a lifetime of just like, you know, being with my dad, which wouldn't have been an easy lifetime. <laughs> I watched it. But, you know, that was just what was thinkable for her, you know? And it's kind of fascinating. I'm like listening to a lot about like existential philosophy now. I got this really interesting audiobook called At the Existentialist Cafe. I'm at the part where Simone de Beauvoir is talking about what it existentially means to be a woman. Mm. You know? And like, you know, I think about how that relates to women like my mom's age, where you know, it's, it, and it's within my lifetime. You know, she couldn't get her own credit card. She couldn't rent her own apartment. Fucking crazy. Mm. So if you look at the progress within society, well, that's progress, obviously, right? Some things are not progressing, but other things have. But that was my mom's life. So I don't know. I just, it was one of the things I wanted to ask her about because I knew we were going to talk about Reich and this whole idea of premarital sex. And she was just like, well, that just wasn't even something, like it wasn't even a thought that it could occur to me, you know? Mm. Where with my daughter now, it was kind of a running joke because I was like, don't you wait to marriage. Don't you <laughs> dare do that. That's a, you know, like, uh, you know, it's the reverse of it. And we could kid about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because I wouldn't, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. A marriage, that's an awful idea. Um, but that was my mom's world. So I don't know. I don't know if it's, I don't know. Do you talk to your mom like in that way, Daniel? I know I met your mom. Yeah. Obviously we did, you know. Yeah, you seem to have a pretty honest relationship with one another. Yeah, I mean, you know, she was an immigrant, right? Came here when she was 13 years old. And the family definitely tried to marry her off at a very young age. You know, just like a lot of my other aunts who were married off or they tried anyways. But, um, you know, she was dating somebody. And, you know, I believe they were, I know they were for sure sexually active as uh, I am a a testament to this activity. You know, and 
I think it's because of that, actually. I never, I've never asked her this specifically, but I'm going to imagine that it was because of that she was already sort of intimate, mm-hmm. that she felt like the intimacy, that that the drive to be connected intimately, if that wasn't there, she wasn't doing, you know, it wasn't happening. There was no way it was happening. Come threat of physical violence. And there might have been threat of physical violence, you know, oh. at that time in the family, which is, and it probably wasn't unique, you know? Um, whether it came to blows or not, I don't know, but definitely physical violence over the fact that she was in, like said she'd already been physically intimate and that would have been a taboo. Well, no, 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 no. Threat of physical violence and not ro- obeying orders. Gotcha. Like not obeying orders just in general, just in general. Yeah. Like, oh, you want to yeah. go to college? No, you're not going to college. You're coming home. Well, I had to give a plug to the episode because your mom was did do an episode with us. And it was really yeah. a fun one to do for me because it was the first time I actually met her. Right. And it was us just kind of treating her as if she was going to tell her story because we yeah. love people's stories and also talk to her about how Sufism affected her. So, you know, if the, just to give a plug to that episode of her talking. Yeah, she, yeah I think it's called very uh, intelligent, articulate person. And, you know, yeah, I think it's called Nadia's, really Nadia's Journey or something. Yeah. Nadia's Journey, something like was what we titled it. I can maybe leave a link up to that episode in this we're we're linking to ourselves like you you take the lead in this you gave it to me yes (laughs) because you're like this will be more interesting because i already know my mom and i'm like okay cool so that was that was a great episode i love doing that yeah and so i think um i think yeah i mean not to disparage you know because in case i have some family who listens to our work maybe they do maybe they don't i don't know Yeah, yeah yeah um you know not to disparage our you know uh ancestry or anybody who's still currently with us but this is the this was the tale that my mom told me, you know, mm-hmm. and that there was threats and possibly even acts of physical violence, um, you know, in and around the home, which probably wasn't that far fetched, you know, for many many homes, especially against yeah. women, you know, just in general, and not necessarily only by the patriarch, but other people, you know, and other men, you know, in particular. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that was there, and so it wouldn't have been just. Like, oh, you're gonna marry this person, or I'm gonna punch you in the face. You know, it would. It's more than that. It's you're gonna do exact. You're gonna live the life that I'm going to tell you to live. Period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if not, here's the consequence, which could include marrying this person, doing this job, not working, whatever the case is. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. so, in the act of breaking out of that, I think because she was the first one who was able to speak English, the only one to go to college amongst her ten siblings. Um, you know, the first really, really kind of like westernized one because she wanted to be, um, yeah, not, yeah. and everybody else has been, obviously we've been here for a long time, but she was the first ones. And so I think then having a boyfriend at a young age, becoming sexually active, um, and he was a much older dude. And so I believe that this was part of the mixture that was kind of like opening her mind. And, you know, this was like in the seventies. And so it just, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. The hippies were still in, and they were still in effect. They didn't this go anywhere. Like residual hippie bleed over going on there. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So my mom, you know, like she's a little bit, you know, she's 83. So she's born like, honestly, it's weird. She's born the same year as John Lennon. It's just one of those things. I always hmm. remember his birthday. Cause it's, you know, same year as my mom's. So she's part of that generation of folks. Um, and, you know, it's like when you, it was, you know, the conservative of us, conservatism of it is, you know, pretty astonishing. And this mm-hmm. is what Reich was facing, right? He was really mm-hmm. trying to talk about this, you know? But, and I guess what we'll explore as we go on is like, well, what things have changed? What things haven't changed? Where's things gotten, you know? Yeah. And the whole thing of violence, though, I heard an amazing thing. I was, again, I'm doing my research. So I was talking to one of our two anthropological consultants. We have two, mm. right? Mary Kay Ryan. And the wonderful Ryan Davenport. Got to keep them on retainer. They're very, very busy people. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But they have commitments with us. Ryan, I'm going to call him every week and demand that he <laughs> answer some questions about anthropology. <laughs> At least get his opinion. And you know, he so he shared shit about this. But then he, in the, in the midst of the conversation, he said this amazing thing. And I, I haven't had a chance to follow up totally to figure out even how this is. But he says even in Indian now, and his wife is from India, so they're fascinated by Indian culture. You know, he said that 60% of Indian women have extramarital affairs. And I was like, what? Mm. And he said, yeah. And then I said, well, they're risking their lives. And he said, yeah. And then he said something that fit into the theme of our episodes, which was something like, 
and we've talked about this. It wasn't like he just came across this just by Kawinki Dink or something. We've been talking about this. But he said, like, yeah, you can't really repress things. Even when you repress things, people will act out. You know, it just doesn't work in the end, you know? Mm. And uh, so anyways, mm. you know, I was like, ha! You know, that tells you the power of human emotion and what people want to do and then the the risks potentially that they're willing to take to do the I things guess. that they want. I better be on guard if I'm at some uh store or in some place and some you have a divan you don't know some married indian woman is hitting on me maybe i should take it a little more seriously <laughs> take those take those those things with those indian ladies take it with caution daniel yeah, you gotta be careful like they're dead serious yeah anyways it's one of these things that was interesting so that was reich's thing was about premarital sex and then the other part was about divorce hmm. And so he's one of the people who really said like, okay, there has to be the possibility of ending relationships that have gone toxic. Mm-hmm. Now, as I remember, his backstory is really, uh, you know, painful about this. Where the way I recall it, when he was a teenager, he had a tutor, like an academic tutor, maybe some student from the university or something. Uh, I don't know if I remember all the details accurately. So if I make mistakes with this, maybe I will. But um, what happened was his mom started having an affair with this tutor hmm. and his dad was this really old, aggressive, oppressive person, authoritarian person within the family. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think maybe in the end, the way Reich saw it was that, you know, she was just looking for some kind of emotional connection, something that she couldn't get, obviously, within the confines of her relationship with Reich's father. But Reich, the way I remember the tale, like tragic tale actually told his father when he realized the relationship was going on and so then the father started like kind of like psychologically bow brow beating the mother making her life really even worse probably than it was already and then she eventually took her own life hmm. so you know reich grew up in this this experience of like you know i guess trying to come to terms with what he thought that meant you know and then I guess one of the conclusions he came to was, that, okay, these marriages have to be able to end, you know, which I think for my mom, I didn't ask her specifically about this, but, you know, it was something by the time of my mom, when the relationship with my dad was really bad, they were like, okay, multiple times they're like, we have to get divorced. This is ridiculous. They didn't in the end, you know? So I, I, I have lots of friends who come from divorced families. I don't, I don't know if it's good or bad. I can remember as a kid being like, why the fuck won't they just end this thing? This is torture for everybody, you know? So that was a question in my life too. And we'll throw our only ideas about this later on. Yeah, we'll do our own episodes and talk about whatever we want to talk about after we go through Reich and other folks. But um, certainly that was a thing. So I think my mom had gotten to the point where that had been internalized into her world that that was possible. Mm. In my grandma's world, that was impossible. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. just couldn't do that. By the time of my mom, she was like, we probably should end this. And I remember there were times when my my brother and I would get woken up early in the morning or something, and it'd be like, well, you have to have a family meeting or something, which was just like, no, no, not a family meeting. No, because they always were awful. And it was a lot of times about like, we're going to get divorced. What do you think? And we were like, Pfft. and my brother was younger, you know, so it was for me, I was always like, do whatever you want. I'm so tired of this. Right. Right. Anymore. Like it's yeah. 4 a.m. on a Wednesday. <laughs> I don't I go care. To school tomorrow. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> but um uh anyways. So yeah, but that that part had actually obviously entered into the culture even in the time of my mom, you know. Well, that was something she could at least could think of. What year was, what year were those conversations? What years were those conversations happening? Probably really like for me, like you know, when I was more like, you know, uh like early 80s kind of stuff okay mm-hmm. yeah yeah so they had that they had internalized this for sure mm. you know uh that part but these are probably like his two major points mm. you know now the divorce thing is really interesting because he has this he has this idea so basically his position is that human beings need to be able to consistently pursue three things in their life and from a psych point of view i found this really interesting he's one of the you know he like definitely set a framework of what he thought were like kind of like a healthy human life which doesn't always happen in psychology you know a lot of times in psychology it's more like you know how do we get rid of a pathology but we don't try to set like what we think is an optimal goal of psychological health i don't know if you ever feel that way daniel but i've certainly had that thought before you know like what is it 
what are the things that what is the thing that you're striving to sort of more ideally get mm-hmm. as opposed to like let's get rid of some problem or something it's it was a different framing for me and it made an impression other people do that too and we'll talk about Jung and we'll talk a little bit about Carl Rogers around this kind of stuff but anyways he said this quite explicitly so I think the way he said it was really interesting because he was like here's the three things I think human life should entail and the rest of it you know we can see what it would be those will be variations on a theme or something but here's the big idea so some kind of creative work and activity where you feel like you're doing something productive with your life which probably means something you can feel proud of right and something you can feel that is of value it has meaning to yourself and others stuff like that so he definitely would be against the idea of people stuck in work things where it's just robotically monotonously routine or things that people are doing that probably if they really thought about it, they wouldn't feel good about you know so he's definitely a critique of those kinds of things and there's definitely a part of him that you know thinks about things like socialism and other ways of organizing society like to right. solve some of these work-related problems so he's a realist like okay in a capitalistic world this is hard right, right. and we're a realist on this show too about that too you got to do what you got to do. You got to take care of business. You got to put food on the table. Uh, but at the same time, in a more ideal way, you know, if you're looking like what the ideals would be, this would be more of the ideals, right? Mm-hmm. And then the idea of like, the second big thing he's going to talk about is sharing love and connection. So this, I always think of sort of more like emotional intimacy, emotional connection, the ability to have relationships, you know? And then the final part is sharing pleasure, which gets to the sexuality aspect of it. So he says, you need to have these three things. And if you can't do those things, he puts bigger emphasis on the sexuality part. I'm not going to lie about that because he thinks it has an impact on how the body energetically functions. So we talked last time about like his theory, there's all these bands where things can block the flow in the body. Like you can have a little horizontal band that blocks through the eyes or the shoulders or the hips or whatever. So if you have these repressed emotions, these personality uh, blocks within yourself they block the flow of your ability to do these things right sexuality too and it screws up your internal system and it makes you more liable to have psychological problems that will affect your thoughts your emotions your behaviors the psychology part but also it isn't good for your body either mm. it thinks eventually this is going to create these blockages create the situations like we would say in our TCM world, our Chinese medical world, eventually these things are going to create other illnesses. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the idea of it. So you need to have this kind of productive life to kind of like avoid having those obstructions too. But if the obstructions happen, then that's automatically going to be a huge impact on the psychology and the Mm -hmm. physical aspects of the system too. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so then this leads into a very particular position, you know, uh, on relationships too, because we're going to explore the different ways people talk about how you can do this. Eric, just, just, so, just to wrap that part up, what were the three, the three things? Yeah, they were kind of like, okay, they, were, they were creative work and activity. Yeah. Sort of sharing love and connection. Okay. And then sharing pleasure, which is the sexuality part. Okay. And you know what's interesting? I mean, it's everything those is all, all like those are all great things, right? I mean, so yeah. when I read that, I was like, okay, this seems we might have different opinions about what we think that totally means. Sure. But we could probably all get behind the idea, like those are baseline good things. Yeah. And you think this is basically human nature. Like when you dig away all the crap, right? And you pull away all the existential guardian operating system, wrong self-concept, blocks, suppressions, yeah. neuroses. This is what you're gonna find people that really like. And they're just is, fucked up because of their experiences. But well, this is from, the from a yogic, for you know, from like a chakra sort of model, this is these are all second chakra pieces, right? And you know, for those is who are love a second chakra piece, I don't know. Is well, it, so the the, the, the seed the, the the seeds of creativity are in the second chakra, and the okay. re- the reason why they say that is like if you look at caves, like cavemen, they that was like their home. The cave was there where they where they resided, and then they had a partner, presumably, or partners. We I don't know partners, to be honest. Right. Yeah. So, but they had partners or yeah. whatever, and children or whatever. But they had a place to go back to, hunt and gather and come back. Uh-huh. Well, then what was the? Where is the first place that we noticed artwork in the walls of the caves? Okay. 
So they say that that when you have that part is semi-stabilized, the the seeds of creation start to come out. Okay, so you sort know? of like an, almost like a anthropological evolutionary yes. kind of thing going yes. on. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and then the same thing. This is also the this is the, the that's sort of the pleasure chakra, the second chakra, right? This is like sexual reproduction and connection in that way, right? So this is kind of the first. This is weird not, to me because I use like the Tibetan chakra system, so it's a little different. So what, whether you call it yeah. the, this would still be the the root, you know, the first, the first, whatever. Like, okay, it doesn't matter. It's cool. It doesn't matter. It's, so I'm just, I'm just being honest for myself. Like I have to like always translate a little bit. Cause I might think about yeah. this slightly different. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, but then this is also the seeds of pleasure. I mean, pleasure is also found down here. So usually they'll, they'll say again, in the yogic system, they'll say that pleasure seeking people are second chakra folks. They'll call them no, pleasure. The about that is like, I don't think he means pleasure in the way people normally use the word pleasure. Hmm. I don't think he means, you know, like uh, I don't, so sometimes people say, Oh, it's second chakra stuff. So it's not very evolved or whatever. I don't think he means any of that stuff. I think he means something that's much more evolved than just like, okay, this is all rooted somehow in the lower parts of the system. And hmm. I don't think he means those things hmm. to be honest. I don't. So that's my, that's my one maybe like um question yeah, yeah. about that yeah i don't claim i know this pot and jolly chakra system yeah way of talking necessarily but yeah um, i don't think he means that i think he means stuff that sounds more like heart chakra to me that's mm, possible he's talking about love and connection and he's not talking about sex outside of love and connection so he's not isolating the lower parts of the system away from the higher parts right but his body model would indicate that this is just that that repression right and then constriction is just as important on the sexual part as it is on the the loving part but i think he's trying to make an argument that this whole system should like function together sure yeah so i know we could i again i'm not, i'm gonna like just say like, i don't know this model as well so i'll just right like, right yeah uh you know full disclosure but to me it's kind of like so what I notice, and again, I'm going from a different framework, maybe sure, slightly, sure. but it does fit into what he's talking about. Is this idea people are radically like cut off inside themselves. Yeah. So sometimes when people talk about like second chakra, it ends up being like when people use that, just sort of like in a like the way it sounds when someone says it, whether it fully captures it or not, I don't know. But it, it sometimes sounds like stuff that's like a little bit like okay, it's sex, but like it's sex for like just the 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 physical pleasure of it, and you know like. But I don't think he means that. I think he means something else. I think he really is talking yeah. about the idea that people are cut off internally. And that's the reason why all these little blocks are such a big deal, because he thinks the whole system should function together as one created unit. Right. Well, sex is, is lowest, you know, sex is still a desire for connection, right? It's a desire for intimacy. I mean, yes, it's a desire to get off as well. But no, it's like a lot of people in the part and kitty not communicated, right? So their sexuality is cut off from their their heart. Sure. You know what I mean? I didn't mean to talk over you. I'm sorry about that. No, well, I mean, but either way, regardless of whether it's second chakra or fourth chakra, pelvis or heart, the the point is that like you have to have connect, you have to have connection, whether that's sexual or love or whatnot. And probably okay. a healthy functioning system has all of them involved, right? I think that's his goal in the end. I think it's the reason why he's right. talking about all these blocks through the whole thing because he right. basically says now he wasn't thinking about yogic chakras. That's true. No, no. Um, Okay, cool. I know. Do you agree with me that though? I think like a lot of people, it's heart and kidney not communicating. For a lot sure. of people are victims of sexual trauma, heart and kidney. This is Chinese medical jargon we're throwing around. Yeah. So the whole idea is that like in the pelvis, more connected with the kidney, you know, an organ, the organ that's more anatomically tied in there, the major internal organ that's there. So in Chinese medicine, they talk about how the kidney is connected to sexuality, right? Mm -hmm. And so you got that component and then you got the heart and the heart would be more associated with sometimes what they call the Shen or the spirit or the psyche of the person. And a lot of people just cut between those two. Well, isn't that what we're talking about? Yeah, I think it is. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what, that's what it, it couldn't just be second chakra because the heart has to be. In well, right. But those are the, those, right. That's the two, that's the upper and lower. So I think, you know, in, in a way we could. Well, I think he also thinks this leads to transcendent states too, that are higher. Yeah, of course. I yeah. mean, that's the, I mean, that's the, the model is, is a vertical model, you know, uh -huh. but I think what we could say for our, you know, listeners, before we get too deep into a rabbit hole, we start talking, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're just, you know, like. Too late, too late Alice, fell yeah. down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh -huh. But you could say that like, 
repression, trauma, um, difficult life, frustration, irritability, whatever, you know, some, um, some event or cumulative experiences will, uh, I will say one of two things, they'll cause separation from above and below, meaning whether it's, whether you call it your heart and your kidney, whether you call it your fourth and second chakra, whether you call it the aspects of love and the aspects of pleasure, sexual pleasure in this case, or just pleasure in general, get, get cut off. If it's, if it's a traumatic event, or inherited to just, they're just cut in the middle, just straight up cut. Like someone took a sword and sliced you right in the umbilical. And so you're either feeling, you know, lovey feelings or you're feeling sexy feelings, but those two things don't really work well together or over life. As we discussed last episode, continual repression decreases the amount of sensation that people have. And this too causes further restriction. Blocks. It creates actual constriction. Yeah. Yeah. And so this restriction then causes further tensile feelings in the body it causes muscular tension right however however you want to call it and that decreases your production of hormones or what you know whatever you however you want to look at it after that but that's Mm -hmm. the reason for why that occurs and the working on undoing that repression on healing the wounds and, and putting the body back together ultimately at least from you know this this conversation's perspective is reuniting the upper and lowers reuniting the heart with the kidney reuniting the fourth and second chakra, reuniting the sense of love and the sense of touch and the sense of pleasure and the sense of connection. Yeah, yeah, I'm into that. Yeah. And that's just the idea that like, I think part of his point too is why I think we both agree with that people can end up like internally splintered. Yeah. They wound up, they you know, it's like a real danger when you look at this of like the different parts of who a person, uh, who they are, the different mm-hmm. aspects of them can end up like completely like all disconnected in ways mm-hmm. that are, you know, problematical, pathological, stifling, all that stuff. Yeah. Not good. Not good. Not good. No bueno. Okay. So we're, we're into it. Okay. So then this leads to this idea that he has about relationships. So we can agree or not agree, but here's what he's going to say. He's going to say that what will tend to happen between people is that these things will tend to burn themselves out between people over time that eventually people kind of like burn out on one another. And he actually kind of says that there's probably a bit of a timer on this. Now we all have to agree. Just, you know, saying what he's saying. So there's a kind of a timer on this that usually it takes around seven years. And I think he even thinks of it a little bit uh, evolutionary psych-wise or something. Like that's about the amount of time it would take to have a kid and raise them to a certain level of maturity, right? Mm-hmm. He says it usually takes a certain number of years and then people will start to burn each other out. And then because these three things are so important, once people are in these relationships that are kind of no longer functional, they don't work anymore, then this creates a lot of potential pathology within people. Mm. So you'll lose the ability to feel like these connections and the sharing of pleasure. And it's also connect- connected to how creative you feel right and your activities it just starts to kind of like go sour and he, i think he's kind of saying that's just sort of a natural thing that happens in life now we don't have to agree but this is his take and then let's so if we take a step back we say well if that does happen maybe that doesn't always happen mm-hmm. but let's say if it does happen then his argument is that people really need to move on and in the notes i put it in all caps you know just to like emphasize it because he's saying like if that doesn't happen then these parts of the person's life will tend to sour And then they're going to get more and more of this repressed, funky, disconnected shit inside of them. Everything's going to start going this way, and it's not good for them psychologically or physically. That's his diagnostic framework. Mm -hmm. So then the reason why I thought he was a good one for this conversation, and again, like I noticed this when I was teaching my class, is just that, so then what he advocates is a kind of a serial monogamy kind of by default for a lot of people, because the relationships will burn out. Mm-hmm. And rather than getting stuck in these things that will sour and kind of trash people psychologically and physically, psycho-spiritually too, probably, mm-hmm. then the thing is they just have to be able to move on. And the whole idea of locking, again, he's writing at a time when like my mom's era too, where you could not get out. Mm-hmm. You know? So then, you know, uh, so he's just challenging this idea, you know, that you have to be able to get out if things sour. So this then kind of creates, again, the serial monogamy potentially by default for a lot of people. Mm. They'll go through 
these relationships. Now, next week we'll talk about, or next time we'll talk about Carl Jung. He has a different thing going on altogether. So Carl Jung is much more what we might call like a polyamory thing or something, even though that word didn't exist in his time. So we're going to get different takes on this, right? And one of the things that we're committed to do, we're committed to <laughs> is to go through and like look at every possible variation on this theme. But, you know, this is a variation, you know, like of how people can live. And if you really think about it, for people in my mom's generation, that's impossible when she starts off. For people in my grandma's generation, impossible. Yeah. Right? So he presents this uh, vision of things that are obviously radically, radically different, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. The weird part about this to me, and I'll, be, I'll do this next part, and then, you know, obviously jump in, and because I'm curious what you think about this too, but the yeah. weird part to me is his views have actually become much more like the cultural norms. Yes. So it's a weird story because when he comes to the United States ultimately, and he does towards the end of his life, and I think we should do a separate episode on him at some point, because we've done a lot of his stuff justice, but maybe up the road. But he goes and uh, he thinks, I'll come to the land of the free, the home of the brave. That's what people mm. say about America. <laughs> um, you know, uh, because of his backstory in Europe, he had some associations with the Communist Party when he was his teens or whatever. He lands in the United States in the 1950s, gets very quickly tossed in jail and dies in jail. So the story ends really badly, you know. Mm. And uh, that's a worthwhile telling maybe in some other version, a longer version. But, you know, his ideas are like, nobody likes them, you know, certainly at that time. But the the irony is that I think these become the cultural norms, For right? Sure they do. This is much more like his view of things is probably much more what people think, mm. even though probably most people never heard of it, right? It's if his you're idea. A, if you're not a psych person, probably not. Yeah, and even in the psych world, he's pretty outside the box. Mm. So I had kind of a fascinating conversation with my friend, one of my friends about his daughter. And it started, I think, with him asking her about like the Carl Jung thing. What do you think about polyamory? And she was really against it. But then, you know, he was like, well, how do you think it should be? And he was just curious what she thought. You know, she's a teenage girl now and uh, is thinking about these things. And she just said, well, what you do is you kind of like, she didn't use the phrase, sow your wild oats, but that's what she meant. You kind of like have your different sex and experiences with your different partners when you're younger. So definitely premarital sex. Okay now, right? To the point where a girl can tell her dad that that's her intention. The dad will go like, oh, yeah, okay. That sounds pretty normal. Not like what your mom would experience. Oh, I think I'm going to sell my wild oats. What? And they'd like, you know, toss in a closet and locked locked in the basement of the house or something, right? Yeah. So like, that's totally normal now to talk that way in American culture. So the premarital sex thing is over. Like a lot of parents aren't shocked right. by this, obviously unless you're in a very religiously conservative household or something, but most American parents probably aren't. And um, and then, you know, she was like, so you do that for a while. And then she probably would say that you've had your serial monogamy relationships. So you go through your series of relationships and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, which would have been like unthinkable for my mom, right? And then eventually you marry and you spend your last of your life with some person that you decide to have kids with or something. And that's like the way she thinks life is. Mm -hmm. It's much more of a Wilhelm Reich world and probably if the relationship doesn't work, you divorce. You know? So I, his ideas are probably much more what this is, right? So I uh, I have a very particular thought. Hey, Jude. I, I, I agree with the seven-year idea of, like, you know, getting together, having, an, you know, a period of togetherness, you know, of, you know, passion and so on and so forth, and then having a child, raising a child until they're basically of, like, chewing age you know they, they can walk by themselves you have yeah to they can walk back and yeah and like they have teeth you know and they could kind yeah. of run a little bit right <laughs> so and the then don't get them <laughs> right and then like the that whole desire thing is everything's kind of faded and you're like all right well that was cool let's you know go our separate ways but i think and and then and then the serial monogamy part is just like basically a reflection of this over and over and over again. Like that's what it would lead to naturally. And he seems to recognize this. Now I'm not saying we have to agree with him. Right. You know? No, no, no. But this and, is like it follows logically from what he's saying. And he has yeah. an underlying reason because he thinks otherwise you're gonna be in an unhealthy relationship that'll make your life toxic. Right. And I think all <laughs> of that would work, all of that is that is a is present. Assuming the person does absolutely no work on themselves and without any reflection internally. Right. And so that like that same time frame, because it's it's a you know, we're going to what are we going to call it what it is a biological process. Right. That that your relationships and not to poo poo on people's relationships or if I use the word 
poop on people's relationships, you know? Yeah. It also is to say that like, it's the same pattern over and over and over again. Uh -huh, and, uh -huh. and so from my experience and being a, a, a child of a divorced home and having, you know, relationships and so on and so forth, I can probably feel like, at least from my own perspective, like that at some point, if you're doing this, if you're doing something different, but getting the same results, then the way that you are doing it probably isn't good, right? Probably isn't the way to do it. And so then I have to look at, okay, well, if the partner is different, you are the same. And if you are the exact same constantly over and over again, then how much of your own life are you taking into your own hands and actually taking responsibility for? Because I, I don't know who told, I think it was our, one of our friends of the show, Priscilla, who's been on here ah. several times before, you know, yeah. she's like, uh, move, leave your partner and get with somebody else. And I'll show you who you are. You know, something along those lines. You'll see the same patterns over and over and over again. Well, who's responsible for that? It's not my next girlfriend or my next wife or my next husband or my next whatever. That's on me. So I'm looking at this from like a, just a perspective of like doing internal work, right? Doing the meditative work, doing the reflective stuff, making the changes, being mindful, not mindful like I should remember to, you know, be compassionate or whatever, but like actually changing and having, being aware of my actions in the world before I act, not afterwards, right? That like it would lead probably to healthier relationships. I don't know about the length of time in them, but like we might be able to cause a change in them sooner than 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 is too late. And and I say this because I have a new client who I'm working with, whom I trained, I worked with the wife probably about eight or nine years ago, and they got divorced about two years ago. He is 62, 61. She's 60. They moved away, bought a big house or built a big house in, in Michigan. And after they were there for about a year, he said, we need to go to counseling. Uh -huh. and she said, no. And this is a 25 year marriage. You know, their kids are grown and she's like, yeah. no. And he said, as soon as she said, no, I realized at that point it was over. And then he said, when I told the kids we were getting divorced, they said, oh, God, you should have did this like 10 years ago. I was like at my parents' house. That's for sure. It was yeah. Like, and so I was like, well, first of all, you need to slap your kids for saying, why don't you say something sooner? <laughs> you know, like if you notice this 10 years ago, then. Well, you know. <laughs> right. But I'm just saying, like. What are you going to say? You know what right. I mean? But if somebody yeah. else, what my point is that if someone else notices it and they're not surprised but happy, well, that means that it's been there for that time and probably before that. And it just wasn't addressed because you're going through your life and doing whatever the case is. So I, I see this totally happening in life, as I'm sure most of our listeners do, but I'm also seeing it from the perspective of being a more kind of like, I won't use the term woke, but we'll say uh, slightly awakened, you know, like in a half, <laughs> in a half days when you wake up at 3 a.m., you know, but in, yeah. in a slightly awakened phase that like you would take some responsibility for the outcomes of everything that you put yourself into and try to m make yourself in such a way that you can be positively in a reflective and growing kind of state simultaneously. Yeah, it's weird for me because I don't have a particular dog in this fight. Mm. How about a cat? Like what's that? I said, how about a cat? I don't have any animals okay. fighting. I'm against <laughs> animal fighting around this point. <laughs> so no so cock fights. No cock fighting. Without bumps. Yeah, that's right. Um, so um, yeah, I think we both got there at the same time. Simultaneous cock fighting reference. Number one on the show. We'll see how often that comes up. So uh, so like I don't like I don't agree or disagree with him on this point in any major way. This isn't like we all got our own things that will emotionally affect us when these conversations come up but this isn't one of the ones that gets me i mean i come from a house where there wasn't divorce i know people who come from houses divorces where it was really difficult for them yeah you know i mean uh i came from a house where people didn't get divorced it was really difficult for me too mm -hmm. <laughs> so i don't know the answer to this and i right. don't particularly have a thing about his theory except that you know he has an idea and he thinks it like leads to this serial monogamy and i definitely know people who are serial monogamists and we'll talk yes. about that too yeah, this is how they're going to live their life. So it's almost like at a certain point, there might be just different orientations of how people present themselves in the world. Now, I think from what you're talking about, Daniel, and maybe what Priscilla was bringing up, I don't think he's even holding out the ideal that people should spend the whole their whole lives together. He doesn't think he should. Right. So he's already saying like, no, no. He's basically saying relationships are things that are, uh, you know, they're temporal. They have a certain time when they function for people, and when those relationships no longer function. It's basically okay to move along. Sure. That's what he's basically presenting as an idea. 
So I don't even know if like I get what you're saying, especially in the context of the if the goal or more your personal ideal of what you want is to have a long, enduring relationship that goes through decades and stuff. You know, if that's what a person wants, well, then I think you have to take the attitude that you're talking about, right? Because you're gonna have to face the reality of the fact that unless we keep growing, this will stagnate, right? Mm. So that seems very real. I mean, I, and then we know that just from our Chinese medical stuff of yin and yang. If you don't keep things moving, if you don't have that piece to it, mm-hmm. then the thing will stagnate. What, and, you know, Eric, we were talking, so he's, he's, but he's dropping that as an ideal. He's just saying, I don't care about that. I don't think that's even like what people should try to do. Maybe what, that's what people used to do when they used to have the more conventional marriages yeah. that would have been probably just demanded of people in the time that he was writing, you know? Uh, but he's saying like, no, let's drop all of that. And, you know, let's be more, I think in his mind, he's saying, let's be more realistic. We don't have to agree with that either. Right. But that's the position he's taking. You know, these things are temporal and eventually they burn out and it's okay to move on and find somebody else where it's more, it's more meaningful, productive and whatever for that next time period of your life. So before the show, Eric, we were talking about how this culture is not really an enlightenment culture and that's not good or bad or Anything. Yeah, I want to definitely get back to that too, because I that's that that I have a dog in the fight. <laughs> All right, well, we got about fifteen minutes, so maybe. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna probably this will drag a little bit, so probably like some of this will drag in the next episode because there's some stuff I want to talk about with him. Right, well, they, let, let's do this now then, since we're you know since we're here. All right, so so you know for our oh yeah, I wasn't trying to I wasn't yeah. trying to kill the conversation oh, yeah, later. Sure. Yeah. So you know for the audience, we you know we 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 meet before we do the podcast just to kind of go over little tidbits of life and you know whatever just catch up a little bit and, and go the, over the uh, show get the juices flowing yeah mm-hmm. that's right we, we call it a pre-show fist fight you know that's how <laughs> better than a pre-show cockfight that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> always the subtle reference to homosexuality always that's has right. to be a you little need, you, you know it. what I mean you can you have two have- on the show. Yeah, exactly. It's the, that's the tantra part. It's not some sexual innuendo occasionally just that's to right. keep the conversation lively. It's fired up. Uh, keep it erect, if you will, Eric. Uh-huh. <laughs> so anyways, so we were talking about mm, how this culture really is not an enlightenment supportive or an enlightenment bound culture in general. And that is neither positive nor negative because they're not even said in the way to trash anything. It's just like just no. a recognition. It's like, OK, that's just the truth about it. Yeah, it's not a thing at all like not not even like a little bit yeah um and so in 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 that i i'm i'm wondering like does you know in your opinion you know because we talked about this earlier does a what kind of relationship structure would you think lends itself best towards being an enlightenment supportive relationship dynamic. <laughs> oh. I'm going to totally, no, I'm going to totally, I got to have a whole episode where I talk about my experiences with this. So for me, even though it's a total legit question, I am going to, I am going to foreshadow it. Okay. And I'm going to use some dramatic tension and I will actually talk about this. And I got the episode that I'm writing and actually been literally writing that episode in my head for three fucking years <laughs> since we started this thing. Cause that's like the, one of the major questions that I have in my own mind. And I want to share my own experience of this and all that, but I want to tell like, it, it's more than a 15 minute thing. And sure. I want to do it. So I guess for my, if you want to answer it, I'm totally open to your answering, but for me, I'm going to foreshadow and it'll be like, um, you know, like uh harry potter three and you're waiting for harry potter eight it's not that exciting (laughs) you know it'll be something like that you know eventually you know harry's gonna have to fight voldemort at some point so this will be my episode of fighting voldemort (laughs) okay so i'll I'll come back to it but i mean i mean that is a question and it's like to be honest i'm glad that we came across this phraseology we were just talking about it's not an enlightenment culture right and so then then the real question, or I can say the real question in my life has been, how do you live an enlightenment life in a non-enlightenment culture? And that's a major thing in this podcast for me, you know, and uh, I think over these episodes we're going to be doing here, this is really coming to the fore. It's always, it's always there. Like it never goes away, but that is like a major question. And then, and then I've been thinking about writing this one, you know, this whole series, because this has a little bit been like my ballywick to like talk about this we each have our own things that fascinate us mm-hmm. and they're mutual but sometimes one of us is taking the lead on it so in, in terms for me like looking at this it's been like well if i look at my life i was raised roman catholic but i didn't like that religion so i had to come up with my own way of doing it i actually had to do that and uh 
my dad worked in corporate America. It obviously looked miserable to me. It was very clear. It was like just terrible. And he wanted me to do it. It's not like he didn't. The people in my house who were Roman Catholic wanted me to be Roman Catholic. The people in my house who wanted me to work in corporate America, who worked in corporate America, wanted me to do that. But I was like, no, I can't do that. I wouldn't feel good about myself. So if you look at the major aspects of life, I already had like two things where I was like, I can't do where I came from. And then like what to do in terms of like what I believe in terms of like uh, relationship and sexuality and those kinds of things is another question too. So it was all a question of these things of like, okay, what am I going to keep from the culture that I'm from? Reich's really interesting because he has this phrase he calls the emotional plague. It's down in the notes a little bit. And I imagine we'll talk about this maybe multiple times because the phrase is a good one. But he basically says, okay, in whatever culture you're from, there may be things that um, are either intrinsically toxic in that culture. And it's kind of like a plague. You know, there are bad ideas in the culture and people pass it along to one another the same way they would pass like a COVID or something and become like an epidemic of like terrible ideas. Mm. And in his way of talking about it, that's what he saw happening in a place like Nazi Germany. Something happened. There were just bad cultural things that just spread out like this plague and people carried it inside themselves in their in their personalities, in their psychology, their emotions, their thoughts, and then in their bodies too, even, if you get his way of talking. It's mm. in your energetic system. You're carrying this shit, right? So he'll carry this along, and then by their, how they influence the other people around them, their kids, family members, friends, whatever, they spread this stuff around that's kind of toxic. And then people pass these things along to one another, and all of a sudden you get a whole culture that's amassed in some kind of potential toxicity, right? He calls this the emotional plague. I think it's a really interesting idea. Does that make sense to you? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you look at it from that point of view, because I was thinking about this, you know, is like the natural conclusion of talking about this, but we kind of jump-started it, which is cool. So if you look at that, then what would occur to me, Daniel, was something like, you could either say that there are things that are toxic in the culture overall. And I was talking again with anthropological consultant, Ryan Davenport where if you have bad ideas in the culture, they tend to proliferate. So the bad idea you might have in the culture that's like in the workplace is probably based on some underlying set of assumptions and ideas that will also impact how people think about their personal lives or will impact how they think about other stuff. Like if the ideas are kind of there, there's like a substructure, you know, cultural substructure, there's certain things that people think and then it just like pops out in different places, you know, whether it's in your work life, your personal life, your spiritual life, wherever it is, these ideas will be there. And so some of them may just be like intrinsically toxic. And if we went through American life, we might say, oh yeah, there's like intrinsically toxic things. Mm. So part of being a spiritual person to me, and we can see what we think about this as we go forward with this conversation. But to me, it means that you have to be willing to look at your culture and say, okay, what's toxic in it? Because I probably got infected a little bit and I better get rid of it. You know, and Reich talked that way. He said, you better look honestly about this stuff. See what parts of the emotional plague you caught and get rid of it. But the other part that really hit me was, even if it wasn't toxic for everybody, it might be toxic for you. Right. So if you want to go even farther and not even be as judgy about stuff, because this is a less judgmental attitude too, and we try to not be too judgmental. You might take the attitude of like, okay, maybe this isn't toxic for everybody. Maybe for my buddy over here, this is good. But for me, this is toxic. So it could be a personal point too. Mm -hmm. So this is interesting for me to think about this emotional plague thing from him because I thought, yeah, some of this stuff might be, this is just bad and we all have to recognize it. Like America has, America has a shit ton of gun violence. What the fuck is up with that? So my daughter yesterday, she goes to like university here in Northwestern Chicago and like we got a text that they're under lockdown because some people were shooting each other on the beach just south of the, south of the campus and they were running into the campus. So everybody's on lockdown. There's a fucking shooting like every other day, if not every day. Is that not toxic? I think we have to say it is, right? And that's just toxic overall. And we could all pick up other things that we think is like, that's just toxic in the culture. There's something wrong, right? That's pathological. Mm. But then other parts might be more like just like not pathological for everybody, but might be toxic for who you are as a being. And then you could use that same idea though, but to take it individually. You know what I'm saying? So I did a long rant on this, but okay, let me throw the let me throw the mic open to you. What do you think? You opened with the what's an enlightenment relationship. I figured we get back to it from my side. 
share whatever you want. <laughs> you didn't say anything. But then also I did all this other shit about like, okay, so then you get to look and see, okay, what, you know, what do you want? If it's a non-enlightened culture, mm-hmm. what do you want to keep in it? And what do you want to say is toxic either overall or for you in particular? I guess those are the questions, right? Mm-hmm. We got five minutes. <laughs> but anyways it, that, that's what it opens the door to you know what i'm saying sure sure yeah. no, I, under, I understand that yeah well okay so working from the you know end of the beginning then yes you have to be conscious of what the culture the influence that the culture has over you because it definitely does whether mm-hmm. you're aware of it or not it's definitely influencing you and even more now so than previous because we're exposed to more algorithms than we ever have been previously in terms of getting things in front of us it used to just be when there was only television and like whatever then everybody would get the same advertisements yeah yeah. that would be kind of it maybe regionally they would change i mean i'm not a marketing person but my guess is based on a region you would have the same commercials because we're all watching the same tv shows and whatnot and then eventually as internet came and we did that we did an episode on uh hate incorporated by matt taibbi matt taibbi's a controversial person now too yes but okay, we'll go controversial. And, you know, it's he makes that point to what you're saying. There used to be more, it was just different. You know, there was yeah. more homogeneity and now there's more little pockets of things. And- yes. And even as like some people who, you know, us who are looking maybe to do at some point some marketing or whatever, I've actually been given advice to find what are called micro influencers. You know, people who have like 25 to 50,000 followers as opposed to like millions because their engagement with their you know, I guess their people is, is different, you know, is more intimate. And so if they recommend something stuff too, might be more specific for what you want to offer. Yeah. And then, so you can influence this way, you know? And so I think that like, now that we're faced with this, there is far more influence on us than we realize, you know, just, just in general. And it's, and it's not even on a grand level, but it's gross and it's persistent over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. given the isolation of society, especially post COVID, we're around a similar kind of people. We don't have the kind of interactions that we used to have with just in, you know, people not working in the workplace, working from home, you don't have the water cooler conversations that you might've had previously or, you know, whatever. So this, I think is something that is is on us. It's, it's an, on us to, in order to make the changes externally to decide what it is that I actually want to be influenced by, not what's influencing me. And then I have to recognize that it's external and then go through and purge it. But that's probably the first step right recognize and then and then decide what you want so this is from the one part of the question right and then the second part you know which i asked you earlier which we can you know we'll touch on now some part it might be like more personal though right like you might decide okay i can't say this is toxic for everybody that's their own beeswax but for me this is toxic well everybody is i mean whether what everybody is still just one person a lot of one persons you know we're in a multitude of singularities i mean we're not but like According to the Western okay. model, we are. Okay, we'll come back to it. Yeah, that's a good, uh, so. Yeah. The address, but you were going someplace else with it, but I, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so, you know, so we all have to decide for us on what we want and what we don't want. If we don't. That's definitely going to be the case though, right? Right, and if we yeah. don't, de- but it, but if we don't decide, if you don't actively make that decision, then you want everything. That's how it works. Um, do you want everything? Well, because if you so so if you're not going through and, and clearing out your computer for all the files that it has in there randomly, you're inherently okay with clutter and slower processing because you're not going through and getting rid of stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, so I'm saying if someone doesn't have some amount of kind of like self-reflection, not even in like a meditative state, but just amount of, you know, whatever, annual reflection or quarterly something, you know, to kind of look at the what's coming up, what they want to do, what, what's good for them, what's not good for them. You have to release some things. You can't keep adding new things. You know, you have to kind of it's go. It's like a different things. way of thinking about what meditation is about. I mean, sometimes we have the conversation, what's meditation about? And part of it is to develop the self-awareness to yep. make, to make personally empowered decisions about like, I think that's useful. I think that should go. Right. I don't like that. Right. I don't want that in me. I don't like, you know, and you could trace it back to wherever it comes from. Now yeah. we're talking about a cultural set of influences, right? Yeah. But Side there is, but there yeah. is Side so much of us. There's so much of us that's been influenced by other people's thoughts, by, you know, I'll call them structural influences, but like schooling and workplace and just. And that's the emotional plague. Yeah. It's all going to have that Etiquette. same yeah. thing if you want to use that phrase, right? Yeah. So, and so you have to go in and you have to look at those things and what, what do I want? What do I don't want? And what's influencing me that I don't even realize? 
you know, which is a lot of what we're doing, especially in this love part, because the connection is the, the connection piece of our lives is so big, actually. And so it's then like, it's connected back to how people view how things are supposed to be, too. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, you could say that. And then, right. I mean, that's well, a, my mom, like she was raised in a way that certain things were just impossible for her. Thought couldn't even occur. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, and now you go back, whatever. It's only like not that long of a period of time. And no. like all those thoughts are possible now. It wasn't like people couldn't have them before. They just were culturally impossible. Right. So I will say what I'm going to say now, knowing that it could change next time we do this episode because it's fluid, <laughs> you know? No, this is really flexy. This has been a really interesting set of episodes for me to even think about and talk with people about because I keep yeah. trying to like evolving my mind on it. Yeah. So I think for the, you know, again, we're not an enlightenment culture, but I feel like our audience and, and from the feedback mm -hmm. that I've been getting from people, which has been increasing lately, which I totally love. So if you're a you know personal friend of mine and you've texted me or you send me a message on Facebook or you're a listener and we're not yet personal friends, maybe in another lifetime, you know, but you know, whatever, and you've emailed us or I'm you left comments, you got a hold of us, you know, gin and tantra at gmail.com or uh, you know, via YouTube or via Instagram at gin and tantra or on Facebook, you know, we have Eric Baker and Daniel Dumalekny. Um, you know, anyways, cool. I, I love the feedback. It definitely keeps us motivated. But you know, I'll say this. I feel like a steady relationship is probably more conducive for a stable life so that you could pursue your endeavors. And if enlightenment is one of those endeavors, as long as your relationship is healthy, you know, and good and stable and can give you more structure, then I think that you can build your network and build your practice and have the relationship be a part of that foundation that helps you to grow, that helps you to kind of like process life and have somebody to do that. Now, if the relationship is not healthy, well, then it's a huge fucking detriment. It's a huge detriment and will take up so much of your time that you're not even going to really think about enlightenment or anything else or even self-betterment in that case until you probably break up, which is what we see all the time. People break up and then guess what? They're doing self-help. They're working out again. They're meditating. And then what do they do? They go back into a relationship and drop all that shit. And you know what I'm saying? And it's that same yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of cycle over and over again. But I'm, I, that's my stance at the moment. The other part would be like, if you really are serious about this idea that part of what you want to do is grow yourself, you got to find another person to be with who wants to do that similar Correct. thing. Correct. You can't be with some other person who wants to do something completely different. And we'll, we're, we got, we got to go, you got to go, you have a hard yeah. break, but yeah. let's say we'll pick up on this. Cause this is like one of the really important things I think. Yeah. You no. got to be whether it's one person or however that you're going to structure your life, Whatever you have to be around people who are going to like get that. Yeah. If you're not around people who get that, they're they're just you're going to be working at cross purposes with these other people. Correct. And this this, this transcends... is a real problem. This is not a small thing. This is no. A and this thing. this transcends gender, sexual preference. This transcends any of any and all of that. It does that none of those yeah. things are even none of those things are even part of the conversation because there's still you know, people... so weird in the buddhist tantras they have this weird thing where and no one really follows it but you can you can get to the reason why they say don't spend more than a certain number of days in the house with another person who's and they use this word you know <laughs> like it's like not into what you're doing you would say right hmm. but don't be around don't be in the same place with someone who's not spiritually aligned with who you are don't do it it's one of the, it's, they, they actually have it as like a tantric. What is the word they use? What's that? What is the word they use? Uh, it's Shravaka or something like that. But, you know, it's it sort of means like, translate to like tantric Buddhist. Does that translate to like non-initiate or something like that? Something like that. Yep. Mm. So it's like kind of like this idea, but if you take it out, like if you get rid of like the, the legalistic quality of it, yeah. you know, or whatever, if you take the message underneath it, it's kind of like, don't don't build your life with people who don't share your same vision. That's it's right. not going to work. That's right. It's going to hold you back. Yeah. Now, if you can make that happen for like decades with the same visionary person, okay, that's cool. That's how your life worked. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you want to be Carl Jung when we get to it and you try to have multiple visionaries, whatever, you can do that, you know, or if you need to leave and find a different visionary person. Okay. But I mean, that ends up being probably like one of the key things to right. say. Right. Yeah. Well, all right. I guess that's an episode, right? That's a good place to end it. We that, got to the whether 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 it is an episode or it isn't an episode, <laughs> it is today. <laughs> <laughs> it's ending regardless. Yeah. That's right. Um, Eric, as always, thank you very thank much. You. This is you know a continuing conversation that just never seems to end. Uh, yeah, although when we get to seven years, we'll see how it goes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we'll get sick of each other. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> we just... well, it's really true. We never see each other in person. So absence makes absence makes the heart grow fonder. That's right. That we literally true. haven't seen each other since the pandemic in person. That's right. Yeah. You came over one day and then that was the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so then we all have that problem daniel that's true all right fair enough uh well as always thank you in person or, or virtual person yeah. thanks uh, and thank you to our audience you know whether this is your first episode or you know however many we've been doing i don't know i don't keep score or count or even you know i can't even count so whatever uh, thank you so much for listening thank you so much for sharing thank you so much for you know giving your feedback and your input as i mentioned before email us gin and tantra gmail.com leave us a comment or like or subscribe at the youtube if you're on apple leave a uh leave a like leave a comment you know leave a review it definitely helps the the show out and uh, feel free and feel obliged obligated uh necessary to share our work with people uh we definitely appreciate uh everybody who does that whether you check us out on a regular basis a, or not? I think we're having a different conversation. We're doing spiritual conversation, but it's legit different. You know? It's legit different. Yeah. Okay, it speak to people, and if it does yeah. speak to spirit, right? Yeah, no, that's totally true. So, you know, do your thing and, and help us, and we'll continue. We, we, we like, I, I love the motivation personally. I love it. I love yeah. getting feedback from people. So, anyways, uh, we'll catch y'all on the next one. Peace. I want you to get together. Together. I want you to get together.